Brian, team, thank you. Thank you so much. The Lamb of God died in my place. His blood poured out. My sin erased. Wonderful theology. Wonderful theology. This morning, I'm honored to be with you all, Pastor John. Thank you for the welcome here. And to all of you, shalom. Peace and blessings to you in our Messiah Yeshua, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I know I look like your average white guy. I'm uh, not. Uh, with a name like Tuvia Zaretsky, you know, I came from a faraway, strange, exotic, kind of weird land. I'm, um, I'm from San Jose. <laughs> uh, born and raised in the traditions of American Judaism, I'm delighted to be with you this morning as a brother in Jesus Christ. It's a long and amazing story. It is God's, a story of God's grace as he intervened in the life of somebody who was utterly and completely opposed to the name Jesus. I was taught and thought that Christians only hated Jews. I had no idea. I had no idea what the grace of God looked like until he showed up in my life and absolutely won my heart over. So I'm thrilled to be with you this morning, um, and I want to dig into the background of uh, this day. You know, I, I was sitting here thinking, I, I wonder if people understand that, that the, the story that takes us through Palm Sunday to the crucifixion and the resurrection started high on a hill, actually on a mountainside in Israel. When Jesus turns to his Jewish disciples who had fixed ideas in their mind about what the Messiah was going to look like, and he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says to him, why, you're the, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, Simon Peter, that's pretty good, but you didn't figure out that, that out yourself. That didn't come by flesh and blood, but your father in heaven showed you that. And I honestly believe that any of us who come to faith in Jesus are called to be part of that remnant of God by his grace and, and his election. And Simon Peter, standing there, heard Jesus say, and I'm going to Jerusalem to give my life for the sin of the world. And Peter's first response was, no, no, don't do that. See, a lot of the Jewish people were waiting for the King Messiah to come and throw out the Romans and reestablish the throne of King David and rebuild his palace in Jerusalem. But no, he came as the the suffering servant of God, promised 750 years before he showed up in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us, all we like sheep are gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. By his stripes we are healed. I never heard that passage growing up. It's not read in the synagogue. As a matter of fact, as we read through the the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, those chapters are omitted from the annual readings. It was only after I came to faith in Christ that we got that big head slap. Are you kidding me? It was there all along. I hope this morning, um, you, I don't, don't bang yourself on the head, but I hope you see some things this morning that you haven't seen before that would refresh your spirit and revive your hope in Christ's redemption and the promise of the resurrection. That's my hope and desire. This presentation is called Christ in the Passover. It's a chance to look back into our scriptures and see it with a little different perspective as I'm going to share with you what I, what I see in that passage from uh, um, both study and, and the Jewish context and heritage that we find. Um, you've got a little brochure. 
that introduces you to this uh, uh, celebration. You can take that home with you. What I'd ask you to do right now is to tear off the coupon on the end. Makes it two things. Makes it easier to reference the three panels that are here. Also, if you'd like, at the end of the, uh, the morning, if you fill out this coupon and leave it with me at the back table, at the resource table where Don and I will be, uh, my office has promised to send out a brand new booklet that we wrote. It's a free book on the Feasts of Israel. Uh, and that will introduce you to the background of all seven of those festivals. So uh, hang on to that. You'll get a chance to turn that in. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of Jews for Jesus, we'll be glad to send you that info. And, and uh, I work in Los Angeles and Tel Aviv. Can you believe Jews for Jesus is registered in Tel Aviv, Israel as a nonprofit corporation? I filed papers in, 19, in uh, the year 2001. They said, what's your charter? And I said, our charter is, the first of the four points was, we exist to tell the Jewish people, sorry, we exist to, to proclaim the Messiahship of Jesus from the Old and the New Testament all across the land of Israel. Last year, they came to our office and they were examining us and they said, are you doing that? And we said, yes, guilty as charged. It was really exciting. So that's, if you want to know what God is doing over in Israel today as Jews and Arabs are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and worshiping together in congregations, you won't hear that on CNN, will you? Okay. So let's go back to this. Uh, the presentation is Christ and the Passover. And uh, Jesus, having said that to Simon Peter on the, on the mountainside, comes down to Jerusalem to do what he just told uh, the disciples he was to accomplish. And he came to the city of Jerusalem because it was required. Our people were told to come to the city in the springtime and to fulfill the command of Deuteronomy chapter 16. I'd like you to look at that and, and, uh, and hear what God had instructed our people. As we came out of slavery in the land of Egypt about uh, 1450 BC, God told them, observe the month of Aviv and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. That's the name of the festival, the Passover. The night on which we were redeemed from slavery in the land of Egypt and the Lord passed over our homes and we were spared destruction. For in the month of Aviv, that's the springtime, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and from the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. That would be the temple in the city of Jerusalem. You shall eat no leavened bread along with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. That's what we call the bread that we ate for those seven days as we came out of the land of Egypt, the land of our affliction and slavery. So that you may remember the days in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. Since the days I was a child, we kept this festival to remember that we were there in the loins of our forefathers, that we were redeemed and brought out of slavery by the grace of God and his might and power and his covenant faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God established that covenant, not that we were saved, but to demonstrate the power of his name. For the covenant with Abraham was a unilateral covenant that God made with my forefathers so that every nation could see how faithful God is to his word. He promised Abraham that Abraham would have a seed. He would have a great name and he would dwell in a land. And God has kept that promise even down to this time. 
And if you ever wonder, is there really a God? Just look around and see if there are still Jewish people. It's kind of an amazing picture. But now to participate in our destiny is part of that remnant from within that nation of, of Jewish people. So God commanded us to keep this remembrance, remember what he did for us, and it's, uh, it's an amazing thing that about 85% of Jews in North America keep this festival, whether they believe in God or not. They keep this festival to remember our heritage and who that God is. He tied the, fel- the festivals to the agricultural calendar. It's kind of one of the reasons I love coming up here to Visalia. Um, you understand more than most folks what, it, what that, that cycle is like. And so there are three set festivals in the springtime that are lumped together. And they're the, the, the spring festivals, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. Passover was the night on which our ancestors were slay, saved out of slavery in the land of Egypt. It is the first full moon of the springtime. comes up on Saturday. And so uh, our people will gather in their homes uh, on that Saturday night uh, and celebrate. Then for a, a week starting that night and for seven days following, we eat the Feast of Unleavened Bread, during which time uh, we eat only the matzah or unleavened bread. You'll see what that looks like in just a moment. Uh, and then uh, we also celebrate the Feast of First Fruits, which uh, occurs on the, well, it gets very technical. I'll just put it this way. Um, it is always a Sunday after a Saturday in the middle of that seven-day festival. Okay, so there always has to be at least one Saturday and one Sunday. We didn't call them those names, but that'll, that'll make it easy for you. On the first day of the week, that Sunday is the first Feast of First Fruits. And the priest would go out and rip up a little handful of the barley harvest and wave it and declare, Lord, we know that what you've begun, you will certainly fulfill. All three of these festivals are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You'll see that by the time I'm done this morning. Let's see what happens. Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem. It is uh, the, the appropriate season and uh, the historic scene that uh, brings him there is this festival. I'm looking at Luke 22. If you want to follow along, you can. It'll be up on the, the screen for us. But Luke tells us, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread called Passover was approaching. Do you notice Luke points out the two festivals, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover? Passover begins on the 14th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan. Unleavened Bread begins the same night and continues on for a week. This, then came the day of Unleavened Bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Once again, Luke is being very careful you know, a lot of folks say Luke couldn't have been Jewish. Um, he's, uh, I think he probably was. I mean, look how, how knowledgeable he is about the Hebrew Scriptures. Besides, we know that Luke was a doctor, so he had to be Jewish, right? <laughs> but he's accurate in his portrayal here. We can trust the Word of God. In verse 8, we're told Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Now, there are two sets of preparations that are required for keeping the Passover. First is we have to remove all leaven or chametz from our house. And so this week, Jewish people will be going around the home and uh, packing up all bread or anything else that's been baked with leaven, put it in a bag, take it uh, to a bonfire at the synagogue where it's burned up or next door to our Gentile neighbors and give it to them because they're glad to have the bread. But we're going to get it out of our house and then we have, to put, we have to provide some things. And the scriptures tell us in Exodus that there are three things that have to be on our Passover table today because those were the three things that were required back down in Egypt. They are the bitter herbs, the Passover lamb, and unleavened bread. 
Bitter herbs, easy enough to see. Onions, garlic, scallions, romaine lettuce, horseradish root. And uh, this, you don't get this in Ralph's. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, this was fresh ground horseradish root. <clears throat> yeah. That was unintended. <laughs> Uh, the bitter herbs are supposed to help us remember the bitterness of our slavery in the land of Egypt, and that stuff does. That's a good one. Um, we also have the, the Passover lamb, and you might be surprised to find out that Jews don't eat pass lamb at Passover because our rabbis told us the only place that a lamb could be slaughtered was on the altar in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. So we keep a bone from a previous meal, the shank bone of a lamb, on our table to help tell the story symbolically of the lamb. Now, in the center of our table is a Seder plate. Seder means order. And on this plate are all these items that I'm referencing up here. You'll see in the upper left-hand corner inside of your brochure, there's a picture of a Zoroah. Zoroah is the shank bone of the lamb. Um, about uh, 9 o'clock is the maror. That's the bitter herbs. That's uh, horseradish root with beets in it. The beets doesn't change. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> it's still takes your head off. Uh, Chagigah is the festival sacrifice. Chag is festival. Chagigah is the festival sacrifice. We take an egg, a symbol of life, a single seed. It is treated as the holy temple was treated, remembering why we can't eat lamb. We take the egg. It's been hard-boiled, so we crack it. Shell is removed. Pieces are given to everybody at the table. And then we dip it in salt water to remember tears, cried, and lamentation for the destruction of our temple. At every Passover, there is a longing, a prayer that says, Lashana Habab maybe next year the Messiah will have come, we'll all gather in Jerusalem and celebrate Passover together in his sovereignty and freedom. So our Passover begins with our, our heritage and our, our faith in, in uh, uh, revived and intact. There's also um, the unleavened bread. Now I know that... Uh, um, all communication is cross-cultural, so what we hear may not be exactly what was said in the mind of the communicator. So when I talk about unleavened bread, you might be thinking Leonardo da Vinci's portrait of the Last Supper. Remember, Leonardo painted his bread uh, according to his own Italian culture. It's Italian bread, nice, fluffy loaf. Passover is not fluffy, okay? That's, that's a loaf of Passover bread. It is unleavened bread. It's the only bread that we could eat at Passover time, and I'm told that I... I owe a, an apology to Leonardo because how do you paint that? It just lies there. So the bread is supposed to, to be unleavened bread, uh, the bread that our ancestors baked in great haste. We actually keep it in a bag at the table. Beside uh, bringing it out and serving it to everybody, we have a bag called a matzatash. This does not come from the Bible. This is purely tradition. And this bag is divided into three compartments, and the picture is three in one, which, which might make you go, hmm, it does me too, because I have no idea where this comes from. We have no idea why this bag is on our Passover table and communicates three in one. We have a, a, a lot of rabbinic opinions, but I should tell you we have a proverb in the Jewish community where there are three Jews in discourse. There are four opinions floating around. So... We're going to withdraw, by tradition, one piece of matzah. It's the middle piece of matzah. We hold it up at the beginning of our Passover celebration. It is broken in half. Half is returned to that bag, and the other half is, is wrapped in a linen cloth 
and for a time it's taken out of our room and hidden or buried. It is called afikomen. Afikomen, it means he who comes later. Again, I have no idea where this comes from. It has some very, very unique illustrative uh, pictures for us before we're done. It's hidden there. So those are the three things that have to be on the table. Let's find out how the disciples did. When the hour came, everything had to be ready for us. So verse 13 we read, They left, found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. So far, so good. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Interesting. Reclined at the table? Indeed. This is not the West. This is Asia, where Israel is located. It is an Oriental or an Eastern festival. The table was only 18 inches off the ground. Pillows are strewn about on the floor. The disciples are lying against the table in uh, repose, reclining, refreshment as free people. The pillows remind us of that. Today, if you, if you go to a Passover celebration, I would encourage you, if, you're, if you have friends that invite you to come to Passover, bring a pillow. They go, hey, you're pretty hip. How'd you know about the pillow? Oh, we hear about that at church all the time. <laughs> But I need to tell you something. Passover lasts three to five hours. This is a matter of survival. Bring the pillow. Bring the pillow. Um, three to five hours, how do you know what to do? We have a book called Haggadah from the Hebrew word lehagid, which means to tell. And we tell the story of the Passover with this book, reading right to left. That's how Hebrew reads. We find illustrations, diagrams, dialogues so that our children can participate songs that are very much a part of Passover. All of these things help create memory triggers to teach us. This was our educational system. With each of the, with each of the agricultural seasons, the planting, the hard work and cultivation, and the harvest, we have three festivals. God used those festivals and the elements within them to train our hearts. And so we have food, we have things to look at, smell, hold, all the senses are incorporated and they help teach us about the heart of God and his grace and his power. Um, I encourage Christians to do this. There's no reason why you shouldn't celebrate Passover. It's about redemption and the Redeemer. The traditional Passover book won't help you because it misses the most important person, Jesus, the Passover lamb. So a friend of ours um, came up with a Messianic family Haggadah. This is one that's written for Christians. If you're interested in this, it reads left to right so you're safe already. Everything is in English, including the, uh, the transliteration for the Hebrew words, the telling of the story, but most importantly, it has Jesus, the Messiah, in there. If you're interested in something like this, it's on the resource table as you came out, go out in the, in the foyer. Um, on one half of the table, there's a lot of literature that you can take. It's produced by Jews for Jesus, and it's to help you share your faith with other people, including Jewish people, and that's on the free side of the table. This is on the other side. This is not so free. <laughs> Don and I will be back there if you're interested in any of that. Um, uh, and those are, are all considered resources to help you in your, your witness. So we come to the table. Everything is, is set up now. Um, we begin by separating the day from the night, and we light candles. And you'll note in the center panel, there is a blessing. Uh, we would light the candles just as the sun is going down, since the new day begins with the sundown, not at 12 midnight. And we would say a prayer. The ancient prayer says, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by keeping the commandments and lighting the festival lights. But those of us who are Messianic Jews don't think that we've been sanctified not by keeping commandments, not anymore. 
We are sanctified by Jesus. And so we, we would light these candles and say, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam asher kedeshanu b'yeshua ha'mashiach or ha'olam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us in Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world. We love doing this, and it's a, a very important part of our life because we want to tell the story that we find Jesus observing even in, in the heart of his Passover. Now, we pace ourselves by counting which cup. Everybody has one cup. We're going to raise it four times on the night, um, and each cup has a different name to it. The first time the cup is raised is called the cup of sanctification by which we set the evening apart to observe what God has done. The second time we raise the cup, we remember the ten plagues that came against the Egyptians and against their gods, small g. We would eat supper, and the third time we raise the cup, it's called the cup of redemption or blessing. And with that cup, we remember the redemption of our people from slavery in the land of Egypt through the instrument of blood from a lamb poured out for us. The last cup we drink on the night is called the cup of praises or the cup of the hallelim. And we remember the 10, sorry, we remember the, the six praise psalms, Psalms 113 to 118. Brian could tell you that that's the, um, the little chorus book of praises in the National Hymn Book of Israel. <laughs> and it is, a, uh, it is filled with uh, this theme, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy. His grace endures forever and ever. So we, we begin Passover by lifting the first cup of the night, which is called, again, the cup of sanctification. And we would say, you can see the blessing, uh, Kiddush, it's called, the third prayer down. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, borei periha gefen, amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. I emphasize those words because Jesus said, I believe, this prayer based on what we read in verse 17. We're told about the first of two cups in this passage. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. Now you've heard the thanksgiving that he and the disciples shared. It's a very traditional prayer. But then he said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. Words of sadness, words of joy. Sadness because this was his last Passover during his earthly ministry. Within 24 hours of this moment, he had been arrested, beaten, crucified, wrapped in linen, and placed in the tomb. But there's that until. That's a promise that Jesus is coming again. And whether it's a marriage supper of the Lamb or a great Passover celebration, he has promised to come once again for his people and take his rightful place on the throne of King David to rule over all the earth as our Redeemer and King. So Passover's begun. Now we want to tell the story of Passover. It always begins with a child, the youngest child, asking the questions uh, that you see on here, the four questions that begin, Why is this night different than all other nights? And it goes through a, a litany of, of questions to draw the children into the, the story. And we want to tell the whole story to rehearse in their hearts what God has done to redeem us. We begin remembering that God led our people into Egypt when we were barely a nation. 
We were just a tribe, 70 people. We went down into Egypt, dwelt there for 400 years, even as God said we would dwell there. It was our season of incubation. A new pharaoh came into power, and he looked out across Goshen behind his palace, and he saw two and a half million Jews and said something like, Oi. <laughs> Maybe that's not in the Bible, but he was afraid that we would rise up and take his throne, so he enslaved us, and we cried out to God that he might set us free. We take a handful of parsley uh, in one tradition. We dip that into salt. Water. Parsley is supposed to symbolize life, the greens, the world turning green in spring. We dip that in the salt water. Remember tears. We taste the saltiness. The rabbis say that's not enough. We must enter into the weeping of our forefathers. We take a piece of matzah called a sop. About like that. Remember that horseradish root? All ground up, fresh. We'll take your head off. You get a scoop about the size of half it. My grandfather used to think this was really funny. Take a, about half a teaspoon and eat that. No, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> the, end of the end of the presentation. But the bitter herbs, of course, you get this in your mouth and your nose runs and your eyes water and everything closes up. Uh, it, we call it Jewish Sudafed. Everything works. <laughs> and it helps us remember the bitter tears of our ancestors. Now, there's... There's some joy because we've been released from that. We also have fresh ground apples, walnuts, raisins, almonds, brown sugar, wine, cinnamon mixed together. It's, it takes like a brown pasty consistency. It looks like mud. It's on your, uh, our Seder plate called charoset. Charoset. It's a sweet mixture that reminds us this is what we worked our hands in. No matter who we are today, we were slaves there in the loins of our forefathers. And if God hadn't intervened for us, we would still be enslaved. That would be our lot in life. We eat this to give thanks to God and rejoice because the sweetness of his redemption was drawing near even in the bitterest hour of our bondage. You know, whether it's an Eastern thing or not, it's always good to, to remember to keep life in balance. Never do we allow the sorrows of this life to so overwhelm us that we forget the joy and the goodness of the Lord deeply ministers to our heart. Always there, always present. Even in a Jewish wedding, um, at the most joyous moment of the wedding, you know what happens? The groom stomps on the glass to remember the destruction of the temple. Never be so overwhelmed and over, overwrought with the, the joys of life that we forget that life is hard. The death is at the end of the road, but death has lost its sting. The end of that story is the great joy that resurrection has come and is promised to us. Great hope, always in balance. Well, we then want to tell the story of how the people cried. God heard our cries. He sent Moses to Pharaoh. Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart against Moses, said no way. And God brought 10 plagues against the Egyptians. Every plague had the name of an Egyptian idol upon it. And so we take up the second cup of the night and we remember God's judgment against the Egyptian idols. The first plague was against the God of the Nile River. What happens during that plague? The Nile River turns to pictures. Nilos, the God of the Nile, is dead. He's gone. He can't help you. The second plague was against the God of the underworld. That God was a spirit guide who was supposed to guide the Egyptians toward eternal life. The spirit guide was always depicted as a frog. What happens during the second plague? Frogs come up out of the riverbank. They hop everywhere. 
And at an appointed time, they all die and leave a stench upon the land of Egypt. And the picture is the Lord God has driven out any hope of this God that you have trusted in. And all he can do is stink the place up. The living God has his tongue in his cheek, so to speak. And then we come to the 10th plague, the last plague, the death of the firstborn male, man, and beast. Now, with this plague, God was judging Pharaoh, who claimed that he was deity, that his son would be God, and that all the firstborn men, man and animal, had been consecrated to worship and serve Pharaoh. In one night, Pharaoh worship was going to be wiped out with the death of the firstborn male. There was only one way to escape this plague. It was by placing blood on the houses where we live. I want to read the passage from Ezekiel. Sorry, from Exodus chapter 12. Um, it was the, the night of our farewell feast to Egypt. We were told, according to, to the record that Moses preserved for us, God said, go at once and select the animals, the lambs, for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, that's a leafier, feathery bush, dip it into the blood in a basin and put some of the blood on the top and the, both sides of the doorframe. No one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. I want to demonstrate this for you because I think uh, it's very easy to miss what was happening. But God said, apply the blood on the houses where you're living such that when he comes upon the land, he sees that blood. It is a sign that you and your household are trusting in his deliverance. Watch carefully. I'm going to do it this way and then this way. We were told, dip hyssop, that feathery bush, into the blood and strike it on the lentil and the two side posts on the lentil and against the two side posts. And from that moment on, the door was sealed. God said when he came upon the land of Egypt and he saw the blood on the houses where we live, he would pass over us, those who trust in the blood of the lamb, so that no death, judgment, destruction, would ever fall upon us in that day. Perhaps you can understand why I love the story of Passover so much now for the picture of the blood of the, the lamb poured out for us that redeemed us from the Egypt of sin. Can't tell you what it was like to celebrate Passover for the very first time. It was as though a veil had been taken away from my eyes and I could finally see what this whole festival was all about. Those of us who are Messianic Jews believe that we have entered into the destiny for which we were created to be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel of the Messiah who was to come and bring redemption. That's, uh, that's the heart of why we do what we do and, and the, the people that we speak to about this. I'd ask your prayers for um, a fellow by the name of Bruce. I asked the, the first hour to pray for someone else. Bruce is uh, a man that I met in Los Angeles. He's a, an entrepreneur who's made money, lost money, made money, lost money. Um, he has been searching for the truth about Jesus. And uh, when I saw him last week, he confided in me for the first time that when he was 13 years old, he went to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. And he said it changed his life. He never went forward. He, he, didn't, he can barely remember what, it, what the, the core of the message was but he's trying to recapture that so that he can finalize what it is that has been itching in his soul ever since. He's now in his 60s, and God has been calling him in a remarkable way. Even as he's opening people, the eyes of people, my people today, uh, 
through this wonderful, incredible message. Well, there are two things left to show you at the Passover. Those two things will next take us to our celebration this morning of communion because they come right out of this, this uh, uh, wonderful presentation, this celebration. First of all, immediately after we have supper, the children in the house run looking for that piece of matzah, remember, that was wrapped in linen and buried for a time? The afikomen, he who comes later. There's a context to this bread. Um, in Jerusalem, as, uh, as people came to the city, there were lots of um, images, lots of, of elements, accoutrements that were in the temple that spoke about God. One of them is a table with bread on it, leavened bread. It was there to symbolize the presence of God as a great provider. I know you sing a song, uh, Jehovah Jireh. Mm. The Hebrew is Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh Yireh. The Lord, my great provider. He provides our daily need and our bread. And I believe it's based on that that uh, the Lord's prayer came to us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The bread, which is called, I think in the King James, the showbread, is called in Hebrew, lechem hapanim, the bread of the face, the bread of the very presence of God with his people. Against that backdrop, we take this bread, and Jesus took bread. I don't know if it came out of a linen cloth like this, but he did what Jews have done for centuries, he broke small pieces, giving them to each person at the table. My grandfather did this. My father did this. I've done this with my family. We know that Jesus did this. We say a blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. At that moment during his Passover, Jesus turns to the disciples in verse 19 of Luke 22. And he took some bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way that the bread of the presence informed people that God is Emmanuel with us in the midst of our nation, Jesus said, I am with you in your life by giving my body in place of yours at the cross of Calvary. The very next thing we do at the Passover table is to raise the cup of redemption, the third cup of the night. We remember that we were redeemed from slavery in the land of Egypt, but in the midst of his Passover, Jesus took that third cup, and we're told in verse 20, in the same way, the cup after supper, Jesus lifted aloft, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. His body, his blood at the cross of Calvary. On the, days that the lambs, on the day that the lambs were being slaughtered, he was slaughtered as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We celebrate his body and blood when we come to the communion table. Passover concludes with, with a cup of praise. We say, Hodu ladonai kitov ki leolam chasdo. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever and ever. On this day, we remember that Jesus came to Jerusalem to offer himself up. And on Easter Sunday, we will remember that not only did he come as the Lamb of God, not only was he the bread of life, but on the day that Jewish people around the world will celebrate the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus was the first fruits from the grave. The death could no longer hold us because our sin has been forgiven. Great hope in the Son of God, the Lamb of God, and the resurrection. Let's come to his table and remember what he has done for us as he has redeemed you and me.